Kale Clark here. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Check out Charity Mobile and prayerfully consider making them your wireless carrier. Mention offer code relevant radio and get a free phone. Don't delay. CharityMobile.com. That's CharityMobile.com. Fascinating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome to the program. A terrific Tuesday to you. It's the 20th of February, 2024. It's The Kale Clark Show, live, interactive, and in the moment. Faith, facts, and fun on Relevant Radio. You can call in right now, 888-914-9149-888-914-9149. You can also follow me on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And you can email the program, reaction, questions, comments, show ideas, send them my way. The address is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. Well, someone else who's pretty active on X and also other social media platforms is a guy named Dan McClellan. Now, I don't know if you've seen any of his videos, but he he has got a pretty sizable audience across many platforms. He is a public scholar of the Bible and religion. He does not work at any particular university. He does not teach at any particular institution, although he does have some bona fides. He has a PhD in theology and religion from the University of Exeter in the UK. And he also comes from a Mormon background. I don't know whether he still identifies as Mormon, as a member of the LDS organization, the Latter-day Saints organization, but he actually used to work for them. I don't think he does anymore. I'm 99% sure he does not, but he used to work in the translation office of the LDS organization, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as the Mormons call themselves. Now, you might remember on the Faith Explained program, which is the other program that I host daily on Relevant Radio, we did a series on Mormonism. And in fact, to cap off that series, we had an interview with a former Mormon who is now a Catholic, Kay Richardson. And you can check that interview if you're interested on my YouTube channel, which is Kale Clark, The Faith Explained. You can check that out on YouTube. And we'll put a link to that interview in the show notes. So we interviewed her on Relevant Radio, and she had obviously a pretty different take on things than, than Dan might. Dan has posted, Dan McClellan has posted some videos about some pretty controversial topics. And a video that he put out the other day caught my eye because it was called this. This was the title that he put on his YouTube video. There are no eyewitness accounts of Jesus in the New Testament, end of quote. There are no eyewitness accounts of Jesus in the New Testament. Now, if that's actually true, that that could be a problem. (laughs) And so this is what he put as the title of his video. Now, it's kind of about that, but it's also about something else. Dan also questions in the video the authorship of the Gospels. I'm going to play a little clip uh, for you. So this is is a little clip from Dan McClone's YouTube video called There Are No Eyewitness Accounts of Jesus in the New Testament. Check this out. The data indicate that there are no eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life in the New Testament, that the four Gospels were written and originally circulated anonymously, and that traditional authorship was only secondarily assigned toward the end of the second century CE. Hey everybody, I'm Dan McClellan. I'm a scholar of the Bible and religion. And what I'm sharing is 
not my own argument, it is the state of the field. And the state of the field acknowledges that a close reading of the Gospels does not turn up a single first-person claim to being an eyewitness to Jesus' life. Okay, we're, we're going to talk about this in a second, whether or not the Gospels were ever anonymous. And, and if they were, if they were floating around without a superscription at the top of the first page, if you will, not that there were pages, it was a, it was a continuous papyrus scroll, the Gospel according to Mark, the Gospel according to Matthew, the Gospel according to John, the Gospel according to Luke— did they circulate anonymously? Is that a problem? We will get there in just a second. But, but here, here's something else that Dan said. If you want to play the second clip, Jim. The data indicate that from the composition of the Gospels all the way up to Irenaeus, writing between 170 and 180 CE, every last quotation or reference to every verse or every combination of verses from the Gospels treats them anonymously does not assign authorship at all, much less traditional authorship. The closest we get is a claim by a writer named Papias, writing in the second quarter of the second century CE. And Papias says that Matthew wrote a sayings gospel in Hebrew, and it was later translated into Greek. That's not the gospel of Matthew. It's not a sayings gospel, and it wasn't originally written in Hebrew. Papias also said that Mark wrote a gospel as he was traveling around with Peter as his interpreter, but that Mark didn't put everything in the right order. That's not the gospel of Mark, which agrees with the broad narrative order that is found in the other two synoptic gospels. So a lot of people point to Papias as an indication that traditional authorship had been assigned in the second quarter of the second century CE. But Papias' account simply does not line up with what we have as the Gospels of Matthew and Mark today. Additionally, Papias made a ton of claims, and nobody takes any of them seriously. Most of these claims are preserved by Eusebius, who even says that Papias was kind of a moron that nobody takes seriously. The only thing that Papias ever said that anyone takes seriously is the claim that Matthew and Mark are the authors of the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. So it's not until Irenaeus, around 170 to 180 CE, that we first get the identification of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as the authors of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as we have them today. Okay, there, there, there are some other things that, that Dan says in his video, which we might get to later on, but he's obviously taking a bit of a shot at Papias there. That Papias was considered to be a moron. No one took any of his claims seriously. I, look, even if that were true in a general sense, that doesn't mean that he's wrong, Papias, about what he's saying about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the authorship of the Gospels. But we'll get, we'll get into that in just a second. I, I want to get into the question that he poses sort of in the title of his video, first of all, before we get into who wrote the Gospels. When Dan McClellan says there are no eyewitness accounts of Jesus in the New Testament. Okay, this is something we, we've, we've talked about ad infinitum on the show and also on the Faith Explained program too. The plenitude of evidence for Jesus and his existence and some of the things he did and some of the things that he said, if not the most important things that he didn't said, we know about this from historians outside of the Bible. Great Roman historians like Tacitus, who might be the greatest of all Roman historians, wrote about Jesus and his death. So there is plenty of evidence for Jesus outside of the Bible. And in fact, 
another show for another day. You can actually, even if all the New Testaments on planet Earth were vacuumed up into outer space, just went into a black hole or were beamed up to the Starship Enterprise, and we didn't have any New Testaments on planet Earth, we could still reconstruct the main facets, a lot of the life, the career, the ministry of Jesus, just from historical sources alone outside the Bible. But that's another show for another day. But most scholars not only know that Jesus lived in the first part of the first century AD, they also believe that he died. Now, you'll sort of get two views here. Some people say he died in the year 30. Some people say he died in the year 33. It, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. We know that he did die. And what about, what about the dates that the Gospels were written, the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? I'm going to give you sort of the worst-case scenario here. But even if the worst case scenario is true, that doesn't really matter, as you'll see, as you'll see. So a lot of scholars will say that Mark was written between 65 and 70 AD, Mark being the first gospel written. Matthew was written between 75 and 85 AD. Luke was written between 75 and 85, around the same time. And then a lot of people think that John was written as late as maybe 90 AD, some say even later. I don't think that is the case at all. I think that all of the New Testament documents, not just the Gospels, but the letters of St. Paul, the book of Revelation, all that stuff, I think the entire New Testament was all done before 70 AD, within one generation of the death of Jesus, 40-year period being a generation. Now, why do I say that? Well, I agree with the, the view of the famed scholar John A.T. Robinson, who said that not one New Testament book mentions the destruction of the Jerusalem temple, which is unbelievable. It's unbelievable that no New Testament document, no gospel, no letter of Paul, not the book of Revelation, nothing else in the New Testament mentions the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in the year 70 AD by the Romans. Hard to believe that that would be possible because Jesus predicted not only the destruction of the temple, if he were to be rejected by the Jewish leaders of Jerusalem, not only did he predict the temple would be destroyed, if it actually were destroyed at the time of, of the writing of the New Testament books, they, they couldn't resist. I don't think they would have been able to resist putting this. And yeah, just as Jesus said, the temple fell and it was horrible. There was this great war between Rome and the Jewish rebels from 66 to 70 AD, culminating in the destruction of the Jerusalem temple, lots of mayhem, lots of carnage. And the temple obviously to the Jews, was a miniature microcosm of the very universe itself. They viewed the universe as a gigantic temple. So it, it really is the end of the world. That's why when Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple, it's kind of in, in Mark's gospel, it's kind of intertwined in Matthew's gospel too. It's kind of intertwined with the idea of the end of the actual universe, the second coming of Christ, because in a way, when the temple fell, it was the end of the world. And that did happen within one generation, just as Jesus predicted in the Gospels. Anyways, having said that, I, I think all the New Testament was done prior to 70 AD. doesn't mention the destruction of the temple. But let's just say, for argument's sake, that the later dates for the Gospels are legit. And it really doesn't, doesn't matter that much at the end of the day. That would mean that for 35 to 60 years after Jesus' life and when the Gospels were actually written down, that these accounts about Jesus were passed on by word of mouth, by those who heard him, by those who were witnesses to his deeds, to his ministry. 
Now, don't forget, Dan McClellan says there are no eyewitness accounts of Jesus in the New Testament, in that little video clip that you just heard. So let me, let's, get, let's give an example here. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. If you want to call in, if you have a thought on this, 888-914-9149. Now, let's, let's just think about the time period between Jesus' career and the writing of the Gospels, even if we take these late dates for the Gospels that some scholars still hold, although that's changing quite a bit. More and more, a lot of scholars are going to the earlier dates. Now, obviously, the earlier, the better, because the closer in time to the events that they're talking about, the better the chance that they'll be historically reliable. Obviously, memories do fade over time a little bit, but I don't think anybody would forget some of the stuff if they saw this in person, the words and deeds of Christ. But not only that, as you'll see, memory was a lot more reliable in the ancient world, possibly than it is today for most. And people, this was a culture of memory for sure. But, but let's just take these late dates, for example. Let's say Jesus dies around somewhere between AD 30, maybe AD 33. The first gospel, Mark, was written, worst case scenario, around 65 AD. Now that, that, that period of time, that gap, that's about the same time gap as the end of the Vietnam War and today's time. Now, I, I on a recent uh, trip to San Diego, California, I, I saw a memorial. It was actually a beautiful memorial to the fallen soldiers who fought during the Vietnam War. And another tragedy of, of, of that trip associated with the Vietnam War is that when I was driving around San Diego, I saw a lot of homeless Vietnam veterans, and that's true in a lot of American cities as well, but, but uh, I, I saw a, a ton, way more than, than in other places I've been, Vietnam be- veterans living on the street, and that, that's a great, great tragedy. The bottom line is, if you wanted to find an eyewitness to the Vietnam War, even today, in 2024, in the USA, you would not have a hard time finding somebody that you could talk to, somebody who'd been through it might be very painful for them to share their experiences, but it wouldn't be hard to find an eyewitness. And you better believe they have not forgotten some of the horrific things that happened, some of the startling things that they saw during the Vietnam War. So that's, that's exactly the kind of time period that you'd have, even worst case scenario, between the life of Jesus and the writing of the first gospel. Okay, so the idea that people would forget this stuff, it's pretty implausible. But, but let's, let's give an even further example. Let's talk about the last gospel written, which would be the Gospel of John. Again, I think it was done before 70 AD, but let's just take the worst case scenario. Let's say that John wasn't written until late in the first century. Let's say John didn't write till around AD 90. John, and as, as early church writers note, wrote last, knew about the other gospels, knew about Matthew, Mark, and Luke, possibly. And that's why he includes different stuff, because he, he doesn't want to go over the same material that are in the other three. Maybe. But nonetheless, let's say John writes in 90. That would be a little bit longer than the time period of the end of World War II, which obviously ended in 1945, and our own time. Now, there are certainly a lot fewer World War II veterans and people who were around at that time that that are still living uh, with all their faculties. You can talk to them. They're still mentally sharp. Not as many as, as you would find around the time of the Vietnam War, but there's still a lot there's still some World War II veterans that can be interviewed. Now, they too 
can, all right, now you might be need to be a little bit more careful because the time period is a lot, lot longer. But nonetheless, what you're talking about here when it comes to the Gospels, the point of this is that they were written down during the lifetime of people who were living in Roman-occupied Palestine in the first century during Jesus' ministry. So there were people around. Now, Dan McClellan says that there are no eyewitness accounts of Jesus in the New Testament. I don't think that that's true at all. But let's talk about how many people would have been kicking around when the Gospels were written who would have been party, would have known about these things, what Jesus said, what Jesus did. Well, there's another scholar named Robert McIver, and he has shown this in his writings. He says that there would have been, get this, up to 63,000, 63,000 adult eyewitnesses of Jesus' ministry who were over the age of 15 years old. And this was reported, by the way, in Greg Manette's book, The Wrong Jesus. So scholar Robert McIver has done this research, and he's figured out everything from the life expectancy of people during Jesus' time. And he figured out this, that there's about 63,000 potential eyewitnesses of Jesus' ministry over the age of 15. In other words, they're old enough. You can kind of trust them on what they're saying. Between 18 and 20,000 of those people would still be alive 30 years later when the first gospel was written, worst case scenario, Mark. And there would have been up to 1,100 of them still alive after 60 years of Jesus' ministry. In other words, around the time when allegedly the gospel of John was written. So the bottom line is that you're looking at 20,000 potentially people, eyewitnesses still alive when when Mark's gospel comes out, 1100 when John's gospel is released. So there's just simply no way that these things would have gotten off the ground, that these documents would have become acceptable. There was just too many people around who could have, who could have said, no, that, these are, this is bogus. None of this stuff happened. I was there. I lived through it. So I, 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 just, I just find this kind of implausible. But there's even more. There's even more. There's a guy who lived well into the second century, and this guy, you probably haven't heard of him. His name was Quadratus. Quadratus. He was an early defender of the faith. He was an evangelist. He was an apologist. He, he explained and defended the faith. And he lived between the year 70 AD, the same year the temple was destroyed, and 130 AD, so well into the second century. And here, here's what he said. Here's what Quadratus said. He said, quote, the works of our Savior were always present, for they were true. Those who were healed, those who rose from the dead, were seen not only when they were healed and when they were raised. And what he's talking about there, by the way, are people who were healed by Jesus himself and people who were raised from the dead by Jesus himself. He said they were seen not only when they were healed, when they were raised, but were constantly present. And not only while the Savior was living, but even after he had gone, they were alive for a long time so that some of them survived to our own time. End of quote. Now, that's an incredible statement because he's basically saying that people that Jesus healed were still walking around in the early second century. They certainly could vouch for the authenticity of whether this stuff happened or not. So, now you might might take Quadratus and say, I don't believe this guy. 
but there's still a lot more eyewitnesses potentially out there than just what he's talking about. Don't, don't forget, even when St. Paul writes his first letter to the Corinthians, and this is early on, this is one of his earliest letters in the early 50s, maybe 53 AD, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this great chapter on the resurrection, Paul lists all these resurrection appearances of Jesus. And he says there is one particular appearance where 500 people saw him at the same time. And he said, by the way, most of these guys are still alive, although some have died. So you can ask them about it. In other words, you can basically, I'm daring you to interview them because these are eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. I don't think he would have said that if he couldn't back it up. So I don't know what you guys think about this, but I I think there is plenty of evidence that there were eyewitnesses walking around during the time of Jesus and afterwards who could vouch for whether these things really happened. You're listening to The K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Going to take a quick break right now, but we will be right back. Hi, this is Kale Clark. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Check out Charity Mobile and prayerfully consider making them your wireless carrier. They're a pro-life phone company and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to Relevant Radio or another pro-life charity of your choice. For a limited time, new customers who mention offer code Relevant Radio get a free phone with free activation and free shipping. Don't delay. CharityMobile.com. That's CharityMobile.com. Faith, facts, and fun. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Can I get the with me? Can I get the with me? Can I get the with me? Can I get a witness? Now that is the title of this particular episode of the Kale Clark Show. 888-914-9149 is our listener line sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. And it's a little bit of a pun. Can I, E-Y-E, quote-unquote, get a witness? We're talking about the eyewitnesses to Jesus in the Gospels. Public scholar of religion Dan McClellan on his popular YouTube channel, uh, certainly a proponent of many controversial views, says that really there are no eyewitness accounts of Jesus in the New Testament. That's quite a claim. That's quite a claim. And he also doubts the traditional authorship of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. He doesn't think that, well, I'll tell you what he says in just a second. We'll kind of revisit this, but I want to go to the phones right now, 888-914-9149. Let's go to Doug in Chicago. Hi, Doug. Hi, how are you doing? Um, Great. You know, I I was thinking of 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 an angle on this that's worth remembering. If, let's say, that there was this popular account that the Chinese invaded Los Angeles, the L.A. coast, in, say, 1990. And thousands of people believe this, and there's all this writing. Well, you would see, uh, at this time, all kinds of books coming out and articles and saying, where did this come from? This is a complete lie. There's nothing like this. And there'd be Mm -hmm. massive accounts. Well, we don't have any of that from the time of Christ. In fact... Uh, I forget, I'm forgetting the term of some of the the the, 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 the fake Gospels or whatever. There was some oh, yeah, yeah. Jewish mm-hmm. attempt to deny them. 
But even those, the ones that I've read, would say, yes, there's Jesus, and he did some amazing things. In other words, they see the obligation to acknowledge the miracles and the very act of trying to deny them. But I think the main point I just wanted to make there was that, look, if there was a claim this big and it took off this widely, yeah. uh, you would have a lot of literature denouncing this and saying that there's, there's, where it just come from. This is complete nonsense, but that doesn't exist. Anyway, that's all. That's my, my yeah, comment. That, that, that is a great point, Doug. That is, that is a great point. You, you don't see anybody saying this didn't happen. In other words, Jesus didn't exist. These, these claims come much, much later. Nobody is questioning the existence of Jesus in terms of his miracles even. Everybody knows that he is a wonder worker. The question is, where does his power come from? Some of his opponents, religiously speaking, will say, well, he's, he's into magic, he is into sorcery, perhaps he's even deriving his powers from the evil one. This is even mentioned in, in the Gospel of Mark. That, uh, and Jesus points out the foolishness of this argument in Mark chapter 3, saying that it's by the power of Beelzebub that Jesus is casting out demons. That's what his, oppo- what his opponent said. And he said, well, why would Satan cast out Satan? Why would he bust up his own kingdom? That doesn't make any sense, even at a logical level. It's ridiculous. Uh, but nobody's denying his ability to do these things. Josephus, a great Jewish historian of the times, he's not a Christian, uh, wrote a history of the Jewish people, ingratiated himself with the Romans. It's, 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 it's an amazing story in, in and of itself. But he says that Jesus was a, quote-unquote, doer of wondrous deeds, end of quote. Everybody kind of knew this. And the question is, where is he getting these powers from? But in terms of his existence, in terms of whether there were eyewitnesses to his ministry, this is what we talked about before the break. Scholar Robert McIver says there were up to 20,000 people who would have been eyewitnesses to Jesus' words and deeds who would have been around when the first gospel came out, could have easily refuted it and said, no, that's not the case. But you just don't find these documents coming out saying this never happened. Now, Doug also referenced Doug from Chicago, and thanks for calling Doug. Call back anytime. Doug also referenced these other gospels, and I believe what he was referring to there are the apocryphal gospels. There were gospels that came out much, much later that didn't make it into the New Testament with good reason. These are called the apocryphal gospels. A lot of them came out in the second century. They are non-historical. Uh, they don't give us legit historical information about Jesus and his life. And in fact, even, even the skeptical scholar, um, Dr. Bart, Bart Ehrman, who um, has written some books questioning Jesus, the scriptures, uh, this is what he says. He's an agnostic, by the way, Bart Ehrman. He says, quote, most of the non-canonical gospels are legendary, and by the way, he just means they didn't get in, they didn't get into the Bible. The canon of Scripture. Canon means measuring stick. The canon is the list of books that are in the Bible. Most of the non-canonical gospels, he says, are legendary and late, dating from the second to eighth centuries. In many cases, they are dependent on information gleaned from our earlier sources, especially the New Testament gospels. Okay, I'm going to stop there for one second. A big uh, darling uh, of, of some people is something called the Gospel of, of Thomas. The Gospel of Thomas. The Gospel of Thomas is totally derived from the four Gospels in the New Testament. All these alleged sayings of Jesus, and I, I can show you where it's, it's totally ripped off and based off of the Gospels that already exist. It's not new. It's not historical. Now, there's other stuff in there that 
Jesus certainly did not say. Um, it's basically a collection of sayings, aphorisms, if you will. Um, it was written by a cult, essentially. But we'll talk about that another day if you want to. Just let me know, 888 Or send me an email. I want to know what you guys want to learn about. Kale at relevantradio.com is the email address. C-A-L-E at relevantradio.com. Or you can tag me on X at Kale Clark. C-A-L-E Clark with an E. All right, so back to Bart Ehrman, Dr. Bart Ehrman. He says, quote, For the historian interested in knowing what really happened, the other non-canonical Gospels do not inspire confidence. If historians want to know what Jesus said and did, they are more or less constrained to use the New Testament Gospels as their principal sources. Let me emphasize that this is not for religious or theological reasons. It is for historical reasons, pure and simple. The only real sources available to the historian interested in the life of Jesus are therefore the New Testament Gospels, end of quote. So that's doc- skeptical scholar Dr. Bart Ehrman. All right, so pff, he even says that. So th- this is important for us to know. All right, I'm going to play you again this little clip from uh, Dan McClellan on his YouTube channel where he talks about the fact that he doesn't think the Gospels originally had Gospel according to Mark, Gospel according to Matthew, Luke, and John. Okay, check check this clip out. The data indicate that from the composition of the Gospels all the way up to Irenaeus writing between 170 and 180 CE, every last quotation or reference to every verse or every combination of verses from the Gospels treats them anonymously, does not assign authorship at all, much less traditional authorship. The closest we get is a claim by a writer named Papias, writing in the second quarter of the second century CE. And Papias says that Matthew wrote a sayings gospel in Hebrew, and it was later translated into Greek. That's not the gospel of Matthew. It's not a sayings gospel, and it wasn't originally written in Hebrew. Papias also said that Mark wrote a gospel as he was traveling around with Peter as his interpreter, but that Mark didn't put everything in the right order. That's not the gospel of Mark, which agrees with the broad narrative order that is found in the other two synoptic gospels. So a lot of people point to Papias as an indication that traditional authorship had been assigned in the second quarter of the second century CE. But Papias' account simply does not line up with what we have as the Gospels of Matthew and Mark today. Additionally, Papias made a ton of claims, and nobody takes any of them seriously. Most of these claims are preserved by Eusebius, who even says that Papias was kind of a moron that nobody takes seriously. The only thing that Papias ever said that anyone takes seriously is the claim that Matthew and Mark are the authors of the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. So it's not until Irenaeus, around 170 to 180 CE, that we first get the identification of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as the authors of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as we have them today. Okay, all right. There's a lot to unpack here uh, from Dan McClellan. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. And again, that's Dan McClellan, public scholar of religion. Uh, Irenaeus, who he's talking about there, that's a reference to Irenaeus of Lyon in Gaul, modern-day France. He was the Bishop of Lyon, and he wrote the masterwork called Against Heresies, Against 
the false teachings around, as, as Dan said, around 171 80 AD. One of the great fathers of the church, great apologist for the faith. Well, let, let, let me just talk about who wrote the Gospels. Now, e- even if it were the case, even if it were the case that the original copies of each of the Gospels did not have a title on top, the Gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, even if those superscripts were not on the original documents, and it's possible that they weren't, it's possible that they weren't, guess what? The early church was absolutely unanimous about who wrote them. There isn't a single dissenting view saying, oh, you know, Mark's gospel is really not the gospel of Mark. It's actually the gospel of Peter. Now, as, as, as we'll see, Irenaeus talks about Mark being Peter's interpreter, if you will, his traveling companion. He writes down Peter's preaching. So you could say, really, that the gospel of Mark is really the gospel of Peter. And that's why, by the way, it comes first in the, it doesn't come first in the New Testament, but that was the first gospel written. And Matthew and Luke, contrary to what, what Dan was saying, when he says, you know, Mark didn't put everything in the right order, that's, I don't know where he's getting that from. Even if it's not in the right order chronologically, some stuff, it doesn't matter because the gospel writers had license to do that. They could take an event and move it to a different time period in Jesus' life. And that, that you say, whoa, they can't do that. They can, because th- those were the rules of historical biography in the first century. Here, let me give you an example. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus has his action in the temple, the thrashing of the temple, the cleansing of the temple, as it's called, where he's overturning the, temple, the tables and the money changers and all that sort of stuff. We'll talk about that during Holy Week, of course, coming up. That comes at the end of his earthly ministry. And that's one of the things that ticks off the religious authorities of Jerusalem, the religious leaders, and, and you know, leads, helps leads to his crucifixion. But if you read John's gospel, Jesus cleanses the temple at the very start, at the very beginning of his ministry. It's at the start of the gospel. So how do you, how do you figure this out? Does this mean that he did it twice? And some, some people actually say that. Some scholars say, yeah, he did it twice. He did once at the beginning and once at the end. It's possible, I don't, but I don't think that's what really happened. I think John just moves the event to the, to the beginning of his gospel because he's trying to make a theological point. And you could do that. That was You might say, hang on, that's not fair, that's not real history. It, it's not by today's standards, but it is by the first century standards of Greco-Roman biographies. You could do what's called displacement, move a thing around to make a point. But you couldn't make it up. You weren't allowed to make things up out of whole cloth. It had to be a real event, but you could move it around to tell your story in a certain way. So, okay, let's just put that aside for, for a second. All right. So when, when there is um, a, a gospel found, okay, there, there, are no, there are no manuscripts of the gospels that have ever been found that are anonymous, that don't have a name on them. All the documents that we have, all the manuscripts that have ever been found all say the same thing. A hundred percent of the time that Mark is mentioned, it's called the Gospel of Mark. It's never called the Gospel of Peter. And you would think that they'd want to call it Peter because Peter's kind of a name, right? There was one of these fake Gospels, and I, I mentioned this a couple of days ago, called the Gospel of Peter that came out in the second century. It's full of legendary tales. It, 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 
a talking cross that reaches up to the sky through the clouds, comes out of the tomb of Jesus and starts preaching to people. Okay, this is wild stuff. That's called the Gospel of Peter. No, 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 no. They're using Peter's name to try to make people read this. Oh, you got to read this. Peter wrote it. No, wow, really? But the real Gospel of Peter is actually the Gospel of Mark. Same with Luke. Luke. Luke's Gospel, Luke is not one of the apostles, but he was the traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. You'd think that they'd want to call it the Gospel of Paul to get more people to read it, but no, it's always called the Gospel of Luke. So at any rate, 100% of the time that we have a, a copy of Mark, it's called Mark, kata markon in Greek, the Gospel according to Mark. Same with Matthew, same with Luke, same with John. So it, it is true that, that a lot of authors in antiquity didn't, didn't put their name on it, and it was normal to have anonymous uh, documents. For example, you might have heard of Plutarch, who, who was an ancient biographer. He wrote 60 biographies, and he never put his name on any of them. <laughs> but we know that he wrote them for various reasons. But having said that, that's the case with, uh, with the Gospels here. So let's say, let, let's, just, let's just for argument's sake, let's say the early church made up the names of the Gospels. Why would they do this, like the way that they did? If you're, if you're, again, if you're making it up, why would you have Matthew as, as the title of one of the Gospels? He was a tax collector, hated profession, especially among the Jews, but Matthew's a very Jewish Gospel. He's trying to explain to his fellow Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. So you're not going to say it's written by Matthew the tax collector. You might say, and, and, and you know, Dan mentions this uh, later in his video, he mentions this figure of James, the Bishop of Jerusalem, the relative of Jesus. He was a big deal. Why not say it's the, the Gospel of James? No, it was always the Gospel of Matthew. So if they're just like making up names for these documents, these are funny names to put on them. They, they, they could have put Peter, they could have put Paul, they could have put James, but they didn't do that. They didn't do that. Let me just, we got to take a quick break right now, but I do want to talk about what Irenaeus actually said and whether uh, Dan McClellan is correct about what he said and what this guy Papias, and you might have never heard of this guy Papias. Um, Dan says people think he's a moron. Um, even Eusebius Church historian thinks he's a moron. Is that actually the case? We'll talk about him as well and much, much more. Who wrote the Gospels? Are there eyewitnesses to the Gospels? It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. I This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program. also want to remind you, go to relevantradio.com slash Lent so you can sign up for Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass Premium Edition. It's not too late. You can sign up and get a new lesson in your inbox every single day. It's a video lesson, super high quality, and it really kind of walks you through the Mass in slow motion, as it were. To borrow a phrase from Monsignor Ronald Knox, who wrote a book called The Mass in Slow Motion. And it's great to, to be able to slow things down and figure out what our worship is all about. RelevantRadio.com slash Lent. And don't forget, you can also sign up for Father Rocky's Eucharistic Encounter videos as well. Also sent out weekly to your inbox. All right, so we're, we're talking about who wrote the Gospels. Um, are they based on eyewitness testimony? Uh, popular YouTube public scholar has kind of questioned that. And we, uh, if you missed any of this program, 
uh, what we've talked about so far, check the podcast. should be up a few minutes after the show on any of your favorite podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, and also, of course, on the relevant radio app, which you can download right now and update it for our brand new version. But let's go to the phones right now, 888-914-9149. Let's go to Ronnie in Brooklyn. Hi, Ronnie. Hello. Yes, uh, Clark, Kale. I listen you to you all it. the time. You're the greatest. As a matter of fact, you pointed out facts today that I never thought of before, and it's very pertinent what you're saying. But uh, I just want to go one step further. When Christ was at the Last Supper and he said, told him he was going to leave, he says, nope. he says, you know, they were very sad and all that. He says, well, can't, where, are you, where are you going? Can't, can't show us the Father. We'll be satisfied. He says, now, you know, I've been with you for three years. And you don't know that I and the Father are one. If you see me, you've seen the Father. Then he says, don't be sad. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit because I've got many more things to tell you that I can't tell you now. But when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will guide you in everything and, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, in all wisdom and all knowledge. And uh, the Holy Spirit is, uh, is uh, proceeds from me and the Father. And so don't be sad. The Holy Spirit will come to you and uh, you'll know everything. So now it turns out that the Holy Spirit is from eternity. And uh, Christ and God and the Holy Spirit are one and they represent the Holy Family, the three. Well, anyway, and that, that Holy Spirit is the love of God, because God is love. Secondly, it turns out that everything you said is the truth, that eyewitnesses actually were there when they saw Jesus. Mm-hmm. And after Jesus died, they actually uh, were there. And uh, even, even after, when he, when he died, uh, I, I don't know how many were raised from the dead at that, at that very moment. They came to mm-hmm. life. And, and, and that eyewitnesses saw these people that were in the grave that came to life. They were resurrected. They eventually died, but what you're saying is the whole God's honest truth. But let's go a little step further. Even today, the Holy Spirit is inspiring. Well, we're all, the Holy Spirit is in all of us. I mean, the Holy Spirit knows everything. But the Holy Spirit is inspiring writers today. The Pope is inspired by the Holy Spirit and his writings. Well, he's quoting the scriptures. But there are other people like me and like others that you don't even know about that had, had uh, um um, spiritual experiences that are, that are directly uh, uh, come from the Holy Spirit. And I, I, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but yeah. um, some people wrote about it, uh, like these writers that write about uh, the, the uh, commentations on mm-hmm. the uh, Gospels, and a lot of their writings are inspired uh, by the Holy Spirit. Ronnie, let me just jump in there for a second. Well, first of all, thank, thank you so much for calling, and, and thank you so much for your, for your kind words. Uh, you know, I'm certainly not not the greatest. I appreciate the sentiment. I, I I've got a lot of work to do, believe me. Uh, but uh, pray for me. I'll pray for you as well. And, and I think what you're mentioning there, just at, at the end, is is possibly uh, locutions. There there are some people who have. I think of, for example, Anne Catherine Emmerich, who uh, wrote a famous Life of Christ based on locutions, kind of in a sense filling in gaps from from the Gospels. Here's exactly how things worked out. These are private revelations. Um, if they are, if you ever hear things like this, these are private revelations, and many Catholics do believe in what's revealed in private revelations. Certainly, private revelations like uh, what happened at Fatima have been approved by the Church as worthy of uh, you're looking into them. Uh, but you are free not to if you don't want to. Uh, we only have to believe public revelation of the Church, and that is, of course, revealed in sacred scripture and in the teaching of the church. So, 
when it comes to the Holy Spirit and the Bible, certainly the Holy Spirit did in the Holy Spirit is the essentially the primary author of Scripture. The human writers are the instrumental authors of Scripture, such as St. Paul with his letters, for example, uh, the authors of the Gospels. So God, the Holy Spirit is superintending the process, but they're still using their, their memories, um, their ways of expression, uh, their education. All of that uh, comes into play. Uh, he's not overriding that. They're not going into a trance as they're writing and they're just, you know, their hands are moving across the page, uh, the papyrus, if you will. And then, they, wow, there you go. Wow, I just wrote the letter to the Romans. I kind of went into a trance and there it is. No, it was, I mean, these, these are sort of thought through. But again, the Holy Spirit superintends it. And that's what uh, the church canonizes as as the word of God. But but just before we run out of time, I did, I did want to get into, Ronnie, what Irenaeus of Lyon said, what he actually said. And this is a, from his work called Against the Heresies, which he wrote around 180 AD. He said this, Matthew also issued a written gospel among the Hebrews in their own dialect. Now, Damoclon said this is not the gospel of Matthew, because obviously the Gospel of Matthew was written in Greek and then it's translated in English. However, however, don't forget, don't forget that it's it's a pretty accepted view right now that when whenever the first document was written, which we call the autograph, like the like for example, the original copy of Saint Paul's letter to the Romans, the original copy of the Gospel of Matthew, that's called the autograph. But there's there's probably at least two autographs. There's one to send out at least one to send out. And then there's another one that you keep. So there was a copy made probably at the beginning, but in Matthew's case, there's a good argument to be made that there was a Hebrew version of Matthew that was maybe written at the same time. And then there was a a Greek version of Matthew written. Now we don't know this for sure. The one that that got into the new Testament was canonized. That's what you need to worry about that. The final form of the text, the word of God, but there might've been a Hebrew version of Matthew now, how do we know this? Well, there is a, in later centuries, there was a, a person named Shem Tob, who was not a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, he, he was a Jewish person who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And he's like, hey, Matthew's argument is totally bogus. And so he wrote this document basically trying to take apart the gospel of Matthew. And he's quoting from but it seems like a Hebrew version of the Gospel of Matthew. So we have almost the entire text of a Hebrew version of Matthew in his own writings. And he just says, he just quotes it and says, here, Matthew says this, but I think this is bogus because of whatever. And then he has another quote. And then, so he's got almost the entire Gospel in his writing. So that could be what he's, what he's actually referencing, could be this original Hebrew copy of Matthew, maybe. So, that, so what Irenaeus says quite, might be quite, quite right. Anyways, he says Matthew wrote his gospel while Peter and Paul were preaching in Rome. So that would have been around the 60s, because, of course, Peter and Paul were martyred around the year 64 AD by the crazy emperor Nero. That's when they were, he says, they were laying the foundations of the church after their departure, after they died. Mark, the disciple and interpreter of Peter, did also hand down to us in writing what had been preached by Peter. Luke, also the companion of Paul, recorded in a book the gospel preached by him. Afterwards, John, the disciple of the Lord, who had also leaned upon his breast, did himself publish a gospel during his residence at Ephesus in Asia. 
end of quote. So th this is the, the, the section from Irenaeus that Dan McClellan was referencing there. But according to Irenaeus, all of the Gospels are in fact traced to exactly what the church has always said were the authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he also says that eyewitnesses were involved here. Mark is the interpreter of Peter, who was obviously an eyewitness to Jesus, and Luke, the companion of Paul. Then John, whether, you know, and we'll get into this on another show, who wrote the Gospel of John, because Dan also kind of doubts this a little bit. But maybe not, maybe not. But John is the quote-unquote beloved disciple, the Apostle John, who was very close to our Lord. I got some inside information, hey, who's going to betray you, you know, at the Last Supper, all, all that sort of stuff. So there is eyewitness testimony to Jesus. But there's much more on this, actually. We've, we've run out of time for now, so we might have to pick this up again tomorrow. I think we'll have to. I think we'll have to, because I only have one hour on this particular program. But guess what? I will be back tomorrow. Uh, especially the faith explained. You're going to want to check this out tomorrow because we're going to deal with this question of, this is a big topic these days. There are a lot of people, even bishops, want to say there should be women deacons in the church. And why do they say this? Well, they say, well, St. Paul talks about this in his letter to the Romans. But does he really? We'll, we'll, we'll consider that on the next episode of The Faith Explained, 1230 Central tomorrow. I'll be back again for the Kale Clark Show. Maybe we can pick up on this. Ooh, we had so much fun we ran out of time. I'm Kale Clark. Thanks for joining me today. Jim Shaper produced Miranda Sinicero. Stick your phone calls. Timory's up next. Stay tuned. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.